the Bible, so we're going to do Matthew chapter 16. And that's the word we'll set up. We'll be that's what we'll set up camp this morning. Looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 20 is our passage for today. And I think this is one of the great passages in the entire Bible. And I know I say that a lot. It seems like every week the passage becomes my favorite passage in the world. But this really is. This is one of those passages that stands out. Uh, maybe if you're reading it, we, we started last week, and it stands out as one of the top five passages in the entire Bible. And I think it's extremely important for us to hear this passage today. And again, God's providence that he has brought this passage to our church in this time on this day. And I love how God does that. This is an important passage for us today because there's a lot of uh, opinions about the church right now. There's a lot of voices that are voicing opinions about the church in the world. It seems like a lot of people are talking about the church. Inside the church, outside the church, in the government halls, people are talking about the church. There's a lot being said about the church in the world today. But we want to turn to this passage today and ask, what does Jesus say about the church? Because his opinion, his view, what he says, is all that matters in the world. So we're going to look at what Jesus says about the church today. And, and I'm going to title the passage, the message today, The Church Triumphant. Because what Jesus is going to say about the church today is that no matter how bad it looks, the church will always be a triumphant church. Man. That's what Jesus says about the church today. No matter how low the attendance is, no matter how bad things look, the church will always be triumphant, victorious. So let's stand together. I'm going to read. I know we're going to only study three verses today, really only two. Uh, but I want us to read. I want to get a running go and get the entire context. So let's look at verse 13 through verse 20. And we'll study today the church triumphant. And we need to hear that today. The church is a triumphant church. Man. So starting there in verse 13, the word of God says, And when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, and this is a question of all questions we talked about last week, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And here's the verse we're going to look at today, verse 18. And I say, you see that? That's what Jesus says about the church. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. What a great passage for us today. And in a world that looks like, and I'll say this later, that the church is going out of business. You walk around our, our, our little area here today and churches have their doors closed. It's all across the country. Is the church going to be okay? And the answer is, the church is going to be trying. Yeah. And we need to hear that today. We need to know that today. Not just today, but we need to come back to this passage as the days get worse. And remember this passage, that the church is not going to go out of business. Amen. So let's pray together and we'll look at the church triumphant. Father, we thank you. This is a passage that has strengthened me this week. This is a passage that has encouraged me this week. This is a passage that has set me on fire this week. And God, I pray that this, the fire that's within me will spread today to the people in the pews and even to the people online. That we will know 
And we will uh, live it, that the church is a triumphant church. And we'll see why today. And I want us to see it. So use this passage, God, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to embolden us, to set the church on fire. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yeah. So bless this time when we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to give you what the world says about the church. I want, I want to give you the opinion of the world, what everybody's saying about the church. Because we hear a lot about the church, so I want to give you what's being said. As, as I kind of uh, take the temperature of the world and what everybody says, I'm going to give you a, a couple titles of a few books that I saw written this week. These are titles of books that have been written recently. And, and here's just, uh, I think I've got five. And here's what some books that are written. These are do not read these books, okay? First one, why I'm never going back to church again. Second, how I left the church and found Jesus. They didn't find the real Jesus, the true Jesus, by leaving the church. Yeah. But that's a book title. The third one, why men hate the church. Now, I don't know anything about that book, and I know that there's more women in church than there are men. For some reason, men are leaving the church. Next one, why teenagers are leaving the church, and they are. They're leaving the church in droves. Last one, why the pastor's wife left the church and is never coming back. <laughs> that, was the, that was not written by my wife. <laughs> but that's a title of the book. Why the pastor's wife is even leaving the church. You see what I'm saying there? It's, it's why we're not going to church. Why men are leaving the church. Why teenagers are leaving the church. Why even the pastor's wife is leaving the church. That's the books that are being written right now. And what is the government saying about the church? The government says that marijuana shops are essential and important. The government says that we need to keep the alcohol businesses open. The ABC stores need to stay open. They are essential. The government says abortion clinics are essential. The government even says, and you know that we'll say that they're essential, that they need to keep meeting and, and they need to keep having their Senate meetings and their House meetings and, and having all that they're doing in Washington, D.C. is open for business. But the church, the government says, is not important, is not necessary, and it is not essential. That's what the government says. Now, what's being said about the church within the church? You see, then I went broad, and then I went government, and now I'm going down to what the church says about the church. Now, the church would say, oh, yeah, everybody in here would say, it's essential. It's important. It is, it's necessary. Even people online would say, yes, amen. I hope somebody's liking it right now. But actions speak louder than words. Amen. And the Christians today are leaving the church like it's never happened before in America. You're seeing an exodus from the church, a mass exodus from the church. Churches are becoming a ghost town, and I don't mean holy ghost town. I mean, if you walk into some churches, and even before the pandemic, the places were empty. You walk in on a Sunday night, and it's bare bones. You walk in on Wednesday night, where's the people that are praying? Where's the Amen. people that are studying? Where's the church? With, one, with, with their words, they say, it's essential. With their actions, they say, it's not important. It's as bad as it's ever been in America for the church. Yeah. You say, Josh, this is depressing. This is bad. It's unprecedented. The question is, is the church in trouble? The question is, is what's going to happen to the church? It looks bad. It looks bleak. I even saw an article on CNN.com. I said, Josh, what are you doing there? I don't know. <laughs> an article on CNN.com, the title...
church? Are we going out of business? Are we in trouble? Then we turn to Matthew 16. And what does Jesus say about the church? Because the disciples are down and out. Things aren't going as expected in Matthew 16. I mean, it's not working out. The disciples and Jesus feel the same way we do right now. They're looking at Jesus, and they're hated, and they're despised, and they're mocked. It's bad. And they're walking down Caesarea Philippi with Jesus, and they're looking at that, and they're saying, there's Jesus, and there's 12 of us. That doesn't look like much of a kingdom to me. Where is everybody else at? Why are they running us out of town? We had to go into Gentile territory just for some peace and quiet. Why is it not bigger? Why is it not better? It looks bad. It looks bleak. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but we are the only ones. This is bad, Jesus. This isn't anything we expected. They're at their, in Matthew 16 here, they're at their lowest point. They feel like a bunch of failures on a failed mission. And you know what they need? They need to pick me up. They need to encourage me. They need, to, they need someone to look at them and say, this is not a failed mission. This is a, a successful mission. This is, you're not a bunch of failures. You are victorious. You are triumphant. So Jesus gives them here exactly what they need. He says the church ain't in trouble. He says the church is triumphant. He says the church isn't down for the count. He says the church is just getting started. He says that they're not hopeless. He says you're hopeful. And these three verses, he gives them, I think he gives us a confidence-building statement that we are not in trouble. The church is not in trouble. Let CNN say what they want to say. Let the House and the Senate say what they want to say. Let the legislators in all the states say what they want to say. Let the books say what they want to say. Let the men lead. Let the, let the teenagers lead. Let the pastor's wife even lead. But we're not in trouble. We're triumphant. Amen. That's what he's going to say here. So we need to hear these words. And no matter how bad it looks in the world, the church is triumphant. So let's look at this passage and understand that in the heat of the battle, in the moment of trouble, at the worst it can get, we can come back to these three verses, 18, 19, and 20, and know just as the church has throughout history, just as Peter did when it got worse for him, we go back to these verses and we remind ourselves, it's not trouble, it's triumph. The church throughout history, as it gets bad, they come back to Matthew 16. The first time the church is mentioned in the entire Bible. Amen. And Jesus lays it out. Here is the church. So let's look at it today. We're going to study the church triumphant. Uh, I love that. I, I, I worked on several different titles this week, but I come back to last night. We've got, we've got to say the church is, this is a triumphant time for the church. Amen. We are the church triumphant. So let's look at this passage. I broke it down. Three verses, three points. Starting with the first one, verse 18. I'm going to show you the builder of the church. The builder of the church. The heart of this passage is, I will build my church. Amen. That's the heart of the passage. Why is the church triumphant? Because Jesus says, I will build my church. So I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at it, and you guys may think I'm crazy, but I'm going to actually take it word by word. So with that statement, number one is the I, you guys, I mean, first word, I, out of that statement, I will build my church. Who's the I? 
There you go. Somebody's listening. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's listening. The eye there, I mean, you see it. It's not in black. It's in red. The words are in red in my Bible, which says Jesus is saying this statement. I will build my church. Man. He didn't say you will build my church. That's the most comforting statement a pastor can ever use. It's not my job to build a church. It's not your job to build a church. It's not my job to build a pews and to keep the pews filled. There's too many preachers out there that think it's their job and they're doing everything they can to build the church, to add to the church. It's not our job to build the church. I will build my church, is what Jesus says. He's the builder of the church. It's his word, not my word. No one can build it. No one is able. But Jesus is the divine word of the Son of God to build the church. Man. I will build my church. Second word. You guys know what the second word is? Will. Will. Man, you guys, this is, you guys can follow me easy today. <laughs> I will. And will is my favorite word there. Because it doesn't say, I wish to build my church. You with me? He doesn't say, I hope to build my church. Like, if your Bible says that, you've got a bad version. Amen. It doesn't say, I would like to build my church, or I desire to build my church, or I might build my church, or I maybe will build my church. It says, I will build my church. Do you know what that means? That's a divine promise. It's an absolute confident statement. And this is Christ saying it. The one who is a true and faithful witness and cannot lie, who always keeps his word, you can take it to the bank. I will build my church. He's going to build his church. He has been building it. He is building it. He always will build it. And there's nothing in the world that can stop Jesus from building his church. Third word. You guys ready for this one? What's the third word? I will build This is so easy. I mean, what are we doing all week? You just use one word by word for you. Exactly. Amen. <laughs> I will build. Which tells me he's the architect of the church. He planned it. What's the architect do? The architect draws the plans. If I was going to be building, I'm going to be the architect. I'm going to be the one that rolls it out. That's what he did. Before the foundation of the world, the, the Trinity, and before the foundation of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rolled it out and said, We will build the church. Here's the plan. Here's how it's going to work. Here's the foundation. Here's the cornerstone. Here it is, all laid out. And then Jesus comes. And what's he doing? He is doing the building of the church. The architect and the master builder of the church is Jesus Christ. Amen. I will build. That means he's constructing it. He's piecing it together. He's adding to it. He's raising up men. When one man falls and dies and goes to heaven, he raises another man up to proclaim his gospel. Amen. He's building his church. And what he starts, he finishes. You go to the Genesis chapter 1, he didn't get three days in and say, you know what, I think I'll leave it like it is. I've done that with a few things. Said we'll go to Walmart and buy something to bring in the instructions, and I look at it and say, I don't need those. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> You get about halfway through, and you think, I think that'll hold a TV. <laughs> That's not how Jesus works, is it? What he starts, he finishes. He started a good work in me, and you know what? He'll complete that work. Amen. He started building the church. He planned it as, a, as an architect, and he's been building it. And you better believe he's going to finish it. He is a master builder. He has been building. He will keep building. Get this one. He's building it right now. 
Amen. You said in the middle of a pandemic, you better believe he's building right. a church right now. You said when churches are shutting down, you better believe he's building right now. Amen. He's building now. Get this before I move on to the next word. You say, I'm going to be here while you're going word by word. He orders and arranges the events so he can build his church. Yeah. I mean, he is the, the sovereign God of the universe. He, he can stop wars to build his church. That's right. He can bring kings down. I like that. If there is a king who is hurting his church, he has the sovereign authority to say, King steps down and yeah. bring up another one. Yes. If he wants there to be persecution on the church so it'll grow a little bit, he'll bring up kings. He'll still bring down kings. He'll, he'll install wars. He'll bring peace. He's already the events of the world so that he can build. That's what he's doing in the world today. He's building his church. Amen. <laughs> when we move on to the next word, I will build my. My. Man, you guys are with me today. Hang right on the head. Three words that I say. I love that. It's easy. He says that. Church is my personal possession. Yeah. My. It belongs to him. Yes. <laughs> Be careful what you say about the church. Yeah. Amen. It's his. Seeing him and saying what he wants to say, you better be careful when you talk about the bride of Christ. All these people are writing books about leaving the church and finding Jesus impossible. Amen. Amen. I'll say this. You want to hear something that you, you, you may not agree with, but you might have to defend yourself. He is more present in the church than he is anywhere else in the world. Amen. I know that he is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. I get that. But when we meet as a church and come together as a church, he is more present here. There's a real presence that he has with his church. Amen. It's his church. It's his personal possession. He's entrenched in the church. There's an intimate union with the church. He lives in the church. When you can turn to Revelation 2 and 3, and what does it say Jesus is doing? He's walking in the midst of the church. When we meet, Jesus is with us. We're two or three are gathered together. He is in our midst. Man. Get this. His life pulsates through the veins of the church. Boy, he loves church. Yes. Shouldn't our attitude towards the church be the same attitude that we have as the Savior has? It is nonsense to hear anybody say that they love the Savior, yet they don't love what the Savior loves. Yeah, that's right. And there are people out there who say that, oh, I love Jesus, and they haven't stepped foot in a church in years. It's nonsense. Amen. It's like saying you love me. You don't love my wife. You don't love me when me and her are a pair. That's right. Where I go, she goes. And it's been that way for years. There's no Josh without Stephanie. We can't get far away from each other. I don't know if it's me or her. <laughs> but there's a magnet that, that brings us back together. When I went away to California for a couple weeks, uh, a few summers ago, I mean, it was constant FaceTime and texting and calling. We couldn't wait to be back together. Because where there's Josh, there's always Stephanie. And I want you to know Jesus said, he, he it is, is the, 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 the husband and, and the church is the bride. And you can't take and separate those two things. You can't say I love one without loving the other. Amen. The attitude towards the church today amongst Christians it's crazy. Get this, the church belongs to him. 
and it's his exclusive ownership. He is Lord and sovereign head over the church. Yes. And how did he get that? Now I'll say this: the governor and the government and the president has no authority over his church. It's Amen. his church, not the governor's church. Amen. How did he get the, the authority over the church, the possession of the church? He purchased it with his own blood. Yes. Acts 20, 28 says he purchased the church with his own blood. Amen. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for them. Yeah. He loves the church. Amen. That, that word took too long. I will build my church. Yes. Last word. I will build my church. Say, what's the church? What's he talking about here? This is the first time the word church is used in the entire Bible. John's talked about a lot in Genesis on the law, first mention. This is the first mention. That it starts out the most basic, and then it will get more in-depth as it goes. And he starts at the most basic level here. So when you see the word church here, don't think of a church with pews and a pulpit and a steeple. Because they had no idea. That, that, that wasn't what they were thinking there. When he said, I will build my church, they're all sitting there thinking, oh, he's going to put a First Baptist church in Caesarea Philippi right over there. He's going to build it. He's going to start him a, a ladies' auxiliary over there. He's going to have a business meeting here in just a few minutes. And we're going to have a prostitution and, and all these things that the church has. That's not what came into their mind when they heard the word church. Again, first time the word church has, has been used in the Bible. What did they think? When they heard the word church, they were they heard, I will build my people. Get this. This isn't the church. This is the place the church meets. That's right. Amen. When he says church, he's talking about assembly. He's talking about a congregation. He's talking about a gathering. He's talking about bringing a people in together into one place. That's what he's talking about when he says church. That's what the word ecclesia means. It's a, it's a collection of people. It's a gathering of people. It's a crowd of people. So when he says this, he's, he's saying, I'm going to have more people than just 12. I'm going to build a people. I'm going to gather a people. It's going to be more than just us. He's going to do what he said he would do back in Genesis chapter 15. He said, I'm going to give you a people that are more than the stars in the sky. And Jesus comes and says, I will gather my people. Man. That's what he's saying there. My people will I gather. I will be calling people out of the world and out of sin into my gathering of people. Amen. That's what the church is. It's a gathering of people. And how's he going to do it? I've got to move away from my five words here. We're going to feed your law. Because if you're going to build something, you have to have a foundation, don't you? I don't know much about building. I told you. Instead of bringing someone to shelf, me and Isaiah and Christians throw it up there. <laughs> Don't put anything bad in But if you want to build something, you need a foundation. What's the foundation? Verse 18. Now I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. What's the rock that he's going to build his church on? What's the foundation? Catholics say that it's Peter himself. 
that Jesus is starting some kind of succession here where Peter becomes the first pope, the vicar of Christ in the world, which is a stand-in for Christ, which is basically God on the earth. And it's what these popes think that they are. And it's, they think that it started with Peter, that he handed the church over, and he's building upon Peter. And then Peter's going to pass that down throughout the generations. And basically, they think Jesus gave Peter a really big hat right there. And said, wear this hat as a pope, and pass that thing down, and it's jewelry, and it's scepter, and throne in Rome. And, and you're going to keep passing that down, and the church is built upon some fallible, little bitty man. There's no way. Amen. Amen. No earthly leader can hold up the church. Amen. No sinful man can hold up the church. It's not Peter. It's not the Pope. Jesus says here upon, Thou art Peter. You kind of like this. Thou art Peter. The word Peter is you're a little bitty stone. Yeah. You're a little bitty pebble. You're a little bit of sand. You're not rocky. You're saying And upon this rock I'll build my church. What rock? If it's not Peter, then who is it? Jesus alone is the preeminent person in this passage. Yeah. We just said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it's not Peter that is the foundation of the church. It is Jesus that is the foundation Amen. of the church. Amen. The only one that can be built upon. Is Jesus Christ. The only one with strong enough shoulders to hold the church against all the attacks of the world is Jesus Christ. Paul said Jesus is the rock. Paul said Jesus is the foundation. Paul said Jesus is the cornerstone. And it's not just a, it, it's Peter, you are a small little uh, piece of sand compared to Jesus, who is a, a mountain that you can build the church upon. He is the rock that the church is built upon so that no man and no, no attack against it will ever stand. You don't sink when you're standing on a rock. Man. The only Christ, the Son of God, can hold the church. That song said we played this a minute ago, on Christ the solid rock we stand. Yes. All other ground, that's Peter the Pope, is sinking sand. Amen. There's an old song that says the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. And he's not only the architect and the builder, he's the foundation of the church. So understand this, and I'll move on to the next point. You say he took forever on that, I know. Jesus is everything to the church. Amen. Everything to the church. And as long as we preach Christ and Him crucified, we are guaranteed that Christ will build His church. Guaranteed is a promise. The church that stands on the rock will never sink. That's why we stand here today and say, no matter what the world says, we stand on Christ. Yes. Let's move to the second point. I'll hurry on this one. You don't have my word on that, but I'm going to try. I showed you the builder of the church. I'm going to show you the battleground of the church. Verse 18b. He says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. Verse 18. I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And, here's the second point, the gates of hell shall not go against it. You say, what's that? He's talking about the opposition that the church will get. That the gates of hell, the powers of evil, 
will do everything it can to try to stop the church. And the gates aren't coming at the church. Nobody charges at, at an opponent with a gate. I've never seen anybody do that. If you're going to charge an opponent, you're going to get a sword, you're going to get some kind of knife, you're going to get a weapon and charge with that. But nobody ever, you never see a, a war movie where somebody picks up a gate and says, I'm coming at you. Nobody, nobody fights with a gate. He said, what is he using the gate for? It's the, the enemy, the opposition to the church will try to hem the church in. We'll try to, I wrote down a few things here. We'll try to contain us. We'll try to imprison us. We'll try to hold us back. We'll try to silence us. We'll try to lock us up and shut us up. That Satan will unleash hell on the church to try to stop the church. That's what this is talking about. To hem the church in. We do that with our dog in our backyard. We have a fence all the way around so that the dog can't get out. That's what a, a, a gate does. So Satan in his attack will try to stop the church and with everything in his power up to death trying to stop the church. There's a reason that the, the kids throughout hundreds of years are saying onward Christian soldiers. Marching as to war. The church is a, in, in the midst of a battle at all times. Where the church is, there will be opposition. Wherever Christ builds, is in the sight and sound of, of hell. And what is Satan going to do? Get this, Satan hates the church. He detests the church. He can't stand the church. His attitude towards the church is a lot like some Christians' attitude toward the church. You don't like it. If, get this. If your attitude towards the church is more like Satan's attitude towards the church, you've got a problem. Yeah. If your attitude towards the church is like Jesus' attitude towards the church, it, everything seems okay. But what's what we'll do? The first thing he'll do is try to shut us up. You might wonder, this is, he, he's not come up with new ideas. This is what he's done for centuries. The first thing he did to the church in Acts was stop preaching Christ. Shut up. Yeah. Satan doesn't try to shut up the church to stop preaching Christ. Amen. If the church is standing up and preaching social justice and, and racism and, and socialism and, and all these the issues of the day, and standing up and, and just talking newspaper theology, here's what I read today, so here's what I preached today. I'm not preaching Christ. I'm not preaching His Word. Satan just has to sit back and say, they're, they're messing themselves up. But when a church stands to preach Christ, the Son of the living God, yes. the first thing that he's going to do is try to shut them up. Yeah, man. And if he can't shut them up, he'll try to beat them up. Yeah. So what does that mean? Persecution comes. Right now, <laughs> you guys are going to think I'm getting negative here. Right now, <laughs> We're trying, the government is trying to shut us up. The world is trying to shut us up. And if they can't shut us up, and we keep preaching Christ and being crucified, the next step is to beat us up. Yeah. If you won't stop, I'll stop you. So the next thing they did in Acts was pick up stones and to throw at them. They can't shut us up. They can't beat us up. And they'll try to lock us up. I don't make this stuff up. This is Acts. We preached it a couple years ago. 
Paul spent more time in prison than he did anywhere else. They'll try to shut us up, beat us up, lock us up, put us up for good. You say, what's that? They'll try to kill us. The church is, throughout its history, is a history of martyrdom. Christians being killed for the faith. Yeah. Christians being put on a burning stake for the faith. And the church has never been stopped. Amen. Man, try to silence us, we keep preaching. You try to beat us up, do you turn to Stephen? I think in Acts chapter 7 or Acts chapter 8. And then they, they stoned him and he kept preaching Christ. He looked up and saw a vision of Christ standing. And they got even more, more mad. He said, We're just going to stone you, we're going to kill you. We can't do nothing to you. If we try to beat you up, we try to beat you up and keep preaching. We try to put you in a prison and you just start preaching the gospel in prisons. We try to kill you and you say, I'm for you to live as Christ to die as gain. What can we do to you? The best weapon that the enemy has against us is leaving us alone. Letting us go. We become indifferent. We become weak. The hell will throw everything it has at the church. Yeah. I don't know if that's preaching enough. You know why it's not preaching enough? Because so many people trying to build their own church. And if I preach that, we won't get people in. Mm-hmm. The hell's going to throw everything it has at the church. You say, will that work? And I think hell's throwing everything it has at the church right now. Will it work? What does Jesus say here? And the gates of hell, which is what's going to be thrown at us, shall not prevail against us. Won't dominate us, won't overpower us. Basically, what he's saying here is it won't work. They won't stop the church. Hell can't stop the church. A pandemic can't stop the church. Amen. No government has ever been able to stop the church. Amen. No one can stop the church. Why? Because Christ is building his church. He said, and it says here the worst they can do, which is the gates of hell, it's the gates of Hades or, or death. The worst they can do is kill us. And if that didn't stop Christ, it won't stop us. The, the, the security of the church rests on the victory of Christ over the grave. That if he overcame death, then we're going to die and we're going to go straight to heaven to be with him. There's nothing they can do to us. Right. If they kill us, we've got to be with Christ. And you know what Christ does? He just raises more and more people to take, take our place. That's how it works. Kill me, and I'm better off. And he'll just raise up some preacher who's better than I am. People say, all oh, the preachers are dying. What are we going to do? And I've heard that. This preacher dies. What are we going to do? This preacher dies. What are we going to do? This preacher dies. What are we going to do? Old faithful saints are dying. What are we going to do? The next generation can't, can't carry that load. The quote is, don't worry. When preachers die and saints are taken away, Christ can ever maintain his own cause. Amen. He will raise up better servants and brighter stars. Amen. Because Jesus is building a strong church, an invincible church, a church that will stand against every attack that Satan can throw at it, a church that will outlast everything else in the world. Everything else will change. Everything else will fade away. Businesses will shut down for good. Nations will tumble and fall. Bring down a map and then notice all the, the nations that, that, that have came up and, and had all these great successes. 
Look at this. The empire of the Soviet Union failed. Yeah. The Babylonian Empire, non-existent. The Syrian Empire, anybody see anything in the news about the Syrian Empire anymore? It failed. There's the Persian Empire, it failed. The Roman Empire, it failed. And soon the American Empire might fall. And the question is, what will happen to the church if America tumbles and falls? And the answer is, nothing. Christ is building his church. The one thing that will remain the same is the church of Jesus Christ. And everything in the church, no matter how it looks on the outside, is going well on the inside. In the midst of a pandemic, the church will be fine. In the midst of an entirely godless society, the church will continue to thrive. And every time the church meets, and I'll move on to my last point, every time we meet to sing, and I told you Christ is present with us when we meet. Why would people skip out on church if Christ is present with us when we meet? Yeah. I can't imagine. Me and my kids, we get up and step, get up, get up on Sunday morning, except for Emma. We're all fired up, ready to go to church. Grabbing our Bibles, getting dressed, singing together. I took a selfie in the van today, and I don't take selfies. Here we are going to church. We've got our Sunday best on, and we're off to meet the King. Amen. And when we sing, I love sitting beside Gracie Bell and singing in the mornings. But you know, I sit there, we, we, we just started doing that during the pandemic, that me and her will sing together. And, and she has a hymnal, and she makes sure I stay on her verse. I was singing two today. She said, no, no, we're on three. <laughs> you should stay up doing that. But that's crazy. But in my mind, maybe not in yours. I'm not singing just beside Gracie Bell sharing the hymn. I'm singing beside God. Yeah. Because he's with us. When I preach, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching as if Christ is sitting right there listening to I hope he's saying amen. Yes. He's preaching not his opinions. Don't you hate preachers that preach first and second opinions? You get that one. <laughs> <laughs> I get up and I think, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. I believe Jesus is glorified when we say the Bible says. The Bible says. You notice that? Every time we gather to sing, Satan says, I can't shut them up. Every time we come in these doors, he says, I can't talk. I threw a virus out. And it doesn't stop them. I can't do nothing. Every time we give in the midst of a financial catastrophe in America and the offerings go up, Hey, 
hates it when we gather. And that's one good reason to come to church. Jesus loves it when we gather. We are his congregation. We are his assembly. It puts a smile on his face when we come to church. And Satan detests when we come to church. He can't stand it. I love coming to church, don't you? This is a triumphant hour for the church to be the church. And to stand up and say, I'm not pouting around. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. I don't know about you guys, but I look out proud sometimes and I'll say, Ooh, I'm so pitiful. I come back to this verse and say, No poor pitiful anybody. Amen. The church is triumphant. Amen. The gates of hell not prevail against it. Last point, and I'll close. Did Josh and Rambling? No, I Maybe a little. <laughs> We've seen the builder of the church, which is Christ. We've seen the battleground of the church. I'm going to show you the business of the church. As we turn to verse 19. We do we preach one verse of one. 45 minutes in. Verse 19. Here's the business of the church. What we ought to be busy doing. He says, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus hands the keys to the church to Peter. He hands them over, which means he entrusts them to Peter and the disciples. Matthew 18, he hands them over to the disciples as a whole. And what does it mean when you hand somebody over keys? And I knew that. Gracie asked for a key to our house not long ago. I don't know why. She's always with us. <laughs> but when you hand her over a key, you're saying, I trust you to be able to open the door, to close the door, and to lock the door. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with this key. Amen. And there's somebody in the church, and, and you, you, you rise to a position where you get a key. Usually that means you can bring them over. <laughs> <laughs> You get a key to the building. <laughs> and you can open the door, and you can close the door, and you better lock the door when you're done. There's responsibility that comes with this key that I'm handing over to you. And he has a key here, and it's not a key to a building at a church. It's not a key to somebody's house. It's not a key to the front door of the church. What's this a key to? It's a key to the, to the kingdom of heaven, he says here. And he's handing over to the disciples, and he hands it to Peter. And I'm symbolic, but it's like Peter has it in his hand, and he's saying, Oh, my, what am I going to do with this? You say, what is this key to? Watch this. This is so good. He has the key. They have the key to open up the door of the kingdom and to say people can enter in. Yeah. They have the key, and he opened it in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus ascended. Because in verse 20 here, he says, don't give us the key yet. Don't tell people yet that I'm a Christ. Yeah. Don't do it yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not at the cross yet. I'm not been buried yet. I'm not, I'm not been risen again yet. But when I send to heaven, you take that key and you stand up in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem and you say, here's the keys to heaven. Enter in by faith in Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Amen. Yes. Amen. Oh, what a key. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. And on that day, he opened up the door and thousands went in. Yeah. Oh, my. 
Moses went in. That's what the key is. Opens the door, preaches the gospel. Here's how you get in. Put your faith in Christ and you'll be saved. Put your faith in Christ, your sins will be forgiven. Put your faith in Christ, you'll come to heaven. Here's the door. It's not his job to make the door bigger. It's not his job to make the door tinier. It's his job to open the door. Yeah. You've got preachers that are making it harder to get saved or easier to get saved. And it's not our job to do either one of those things. It's our job to say, here's the door. And it might be a narrow way, Matthew chapter 7. Enter in, for the gate is narrow. But enter in, here's the way. That's what the key opens, the kingdom of heaven. And then in Acts chapter 10, Peter stood before the Gentiles. Because before that, the door would be closed to the Gentiles. And just Jews are allowed in. Acts 10, Acts chapter 15, Peter took the keys. Right. And he said, now, Gentiles can get in. Yeah. And you don't have to be circumcised to get in. That's right. You don't have to follow the rituals and the religion of the Jews to get in. Everybody gets in the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. You want to get into church? You want to get into heaven? You must openly, not ashamedly, profess Jesus Christ as Lord, the Son of the living God. That's the way you want to keep and Peter dies, and the disciples die, and they take that key, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they pass it on to the next generation. And they pass it on to the next generation. And you can go throughout history, and you know what they've been doing? Opening up yeah. the door. I would take you through history and say, Martin Luther pointed people to the door. Because in his day, they were saying the door to get in is through the Catholic Church. Do this work and, and give this amount of money, and that'll let you in. And Martin Luther in 1500 said, uh uh uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are justified by faith and not works. Yeah. This is how you get in. Martin Luther turned it over to the next generation. He had generation after generation after generation that has opened the door with the key of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the business of the church. We'll stand up here and preach all that nonsense that goes on in the world. We preach Christ, the man, and the cross, the plan, as the only way of salvation. That's our business. Our business isn't clothes. Our business isn't food. Our business isn't giving money out. Our business is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's what we have. I love that. We open the door of salvation. Show them the way in. Doesn't that make us the most essential thing in the world? Yes. Doesn't it? Doesn't that make us necessary? Doesn't that make us more important than any institution or organization in the world? You can go to a marijuana shop and get high. You can go to an alcohol store and get drunk. You can go to Washington, D.C. and get angry. Yep. Yep. And all those are open. When you come to church, you can get saved. Yes. Bless you can get your sins forgiven. I'm going to sound awful country to me that ain't enough more essential than the church of Jesus Christ. Yes. John MacArthur had a quote. 
says if there's anything in this entire crazy world that is necessary, it's the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why? Because we hold the key. We hold the key. And the world is dying of sickness. They need to know how to get to heaven. Amen. They need to know how their sins can be forgiven. In a world full of panic, in a world full of protest, in a world full of chaos, you know what they need? Not more alcohol, not more drugs, not marijuana, not more regulation, not more government. They need Jesus, and we're the only ones that have it. Man. Why are they trying to shut us down? Because we have the key. Yeah. <laughs> not just the key. I wrote this down, I think it's funny. We have something you can't buy at Walmart. You can get anything at Walmart. You can't get into heaven. Yeah. That's true. Mm. Not only does he give them keys, he gives them authority. And I'm going to close. I think it passes in the first half of verse 19. It says, And I will give unto you the keys, the authority, the responsibility. And pass that down. Why would I preach anything else when that key has been passed to me? When that key has been passed to us. And he says, And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You say, What in the world does that mean? There's been some crazy, uh, I like to use the word wonky, <laughs> beliefs on this. That there's some, in this verse, we have the authority to bind and loose Satan. That's nowhere to be found there. What this is saying is Christ has given the church the authority or the say-so to say whether somebody's in the kingdom or not. Based upon their response to the gospel, we can say you're in or you're out. You say, wow, that's a lot of authority. Don't we do that? When somebody professes faith in Jesus Christ and we take them to the baptistry, don't we, aren't we loosing them and saying, you are a part of the church now? That's what we do. You've made this profession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and now we say together as a church that you belong to the church now. And if you reject Jesus Christ and you don't believe in him, we have the authority to say you're not saved. That's what he's saying there. We have the authority to say so, to say if you reject Christ, you are excluded. Amen. But if you accept him, you are included. That's the authority that he gives us. We stand watch over the door of the church. If you don't profess Christ, you're not saved. That's, right. that's just that's the responsibility that he gives us. If you do accept him, if you do put your faith in him, then you are allowed in. Amen. That's a big deal. All based upon what you do with Jesus Christ. Amen. Based upon the authority that he gives us, which is his word. If somebody walks up to me and says, I'm a part of the church, but I don't profess Christ, we as a church have the authority to say, That's right. No. You're not. You're not. But if somebody walks up to us and says, I put my faith in Christ. Yeah. And I've confessed my sins. And He's forgiven me. And He is Lord and Savior of my life. Ding, 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 ding. Amen. You're in church. Yeah. We loosed you. I'm not binding and loosing Satan. Nobody has the authority to do that across himself. Amen. Try. 
And he hands this over to us, the keys. He says, that's a lot of authority. I'm not even talking about Matthew chapter 18, where somebody gets in the church and all of a sudden they start acting like they're not. He gives the church the authority to say, get on out of here. Amen. Ooh. He's given the church a lot of authority, right? Not in Rome, but the body of believers in the church. Amen. We only have that authority because it's been given to us by Christ who is head of the church by the authority of his word. Churches have drawn a lot of things a lot of the time. But when we stick to his word, that's what we're about. Amen. I'm going to close here today. You guys have got every close. That's everybody. I'm going to open the door to sinners today. Amen. Because that's my job. I don't like preaching when I don't open the door. Amen. To point people way to heaven. And I understand there's a small crowd here today. You probably wouldn't be here if you wasn't saved. There could be people here that aren't yet kids that have never been pointed to the door that is the way of salvation. Amen. There could be people online today. I don't know if we're even with you. I mean, this is last Sunday I got done preaching. I preached Christ and uh, him asked Christ and the Son of the Living God and I walked out before you and I'm thinking, yes. Those little sermons are like, that was a great passage. I mean, that, that was awesome. And Brandon looks at me and says, nobody heard it. <laughs> it wasn't working. So I'm talking to you guys here today, whether they're listening or not. If you're here today, you're in your sin, and you're an unbeliever. I urge you with everything that I have to enter in the door. Yes. Because one day, here's the scary part. Doors open today. Yeah. One day the door of salvation will be closed and you won't be able to hear That's right. I'll put it off till then, I'll put it off till here, I'll put it off till there. If you die in your sin, without entering in by faith in Jesus Christ, you will die. You stand for all eternity. Yeah. I say that on the authority of the word of God. Yes. Not that I think so, not about been told this, but I've read it straight from the Word of God. That flesh and blood will not reveal this underneath. God in heaven will reveal this. Amen. But if you enter in the door and you put your faith in Christ, I guarantee you that you'll be free from your sin forever. Amen. Amen. Put your faith in Christ. Enter in the narrow gate. The door is wide open today for you. Put your faith in Christ. Will you openly, publicly, unashamedly say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yes. And I put my full faith in you. That's for those of you in here. If there's any doubt at all, I don't do this much, but I'm going to do it today. If there's any doubt with you at all, or there's kids in here who have never been saved, or maybe there's somebody online who listening, say, I, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I put my full faith today and forever in him. Who he is is what he's done. And I guarantee that you'll say Amen. I guarantee. Amen. The door is open today. And the only way you win is by faith in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, and that's most of you, God has his will for your life, number one, to be saved. Number two, to be 
actively involved and committed to the local church. Amen. And if you're not actively involved and committed to the local church, then you are out of God's will. Amen. That's just the truth. Amen. Plainly as I can say. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians and they are not actively involved or committed to the local church. You're not a part of the assembly. You're not a part of the congregation. You think that you can be separated from the church here and that you'll be gathered with the church in heaven because that's what it will be. Assembly, congregation, a gathering of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation that will all be gathered and all of his church will gather in the end as he praises unto Jesus who died for them. Do you think that you can be separated from the church here and love Jesus and be away from him, but you're going to be with them all in heaven? I think you got another thing coming. Yeah. It's, it's God's will for your life to be saved and be actively involved in and committed to a local church. So I urge you today, I call you today to be a faithful member, a faithful part of the church of Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you want to be? That's my question. Why, why do you want to stay away from the church? This is the only institution in the world that will last, that we should be attached to, that we should be involved in. I mean, this is where we ought to want to spend our lives, where Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And it's right in the church. Man. I urge you today, if you're faithful and committed, be more faithful and committed. Man. If you're just here today and gone tomorrow in the church, be more faithful and committed to what Jesus loves. I'll give you something to pray, and I'll close. God help me. You guys ready for this? To love the church, to attend the church, to defend the church, to serve the church, and to extend the church. Yes. You want to hear it again? I'll close on that. We're, going to, we're, we're doing okay. God help me. As people of God in His church, God help me, God help us. To love the church, to attend the church, to defend the church, to serve the church, and to extend the church as far and wide as we can. Yeah, amen. God help me. That should be the prayer of every Christian in this room. God help me to do that. Amen. To love the church as Christ loves the church. And to pour my life into the church. Yeah. I believe this with all of my heart. That if I spend my energy, my time, all my efforts into the church. The same place where Jesus is spending his time, his energy, and his effort, where he's shed his blood for, then I spent my life well. Yeah. Right? If I spend my life in other <coughs> activities and other places that are nonsense, this is going to fall and fade. I've wasted my life, but I want to spend my time and energy and effort in the church. For my kids in the church. God help us. Yeah. Be more faithful, committed to. Of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a strengthening, encouraging passage of Scripture. I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly, studying it. It's been good for my soul. And I pray that it would be the same thing for people in the pews here today. God help us to be more actively involved in and committed to the church. You've given us exactly what we need in the church, a place to serve in the church. I love the people of the church. We can go there today. All these little stones that Christ has put together. These buildings. That's all I am. That's all we are. Little stones. You've taken a good place. There's none bigger than others. These little stones being built from the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. 
And I pray that we trust this promise. And we'd be better faithful to the church. And God, if there's anybody in here that's an unbeliever or anybody online that's an unbeliever, I pray that today they would enter in the door by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. And we ask and pray the same.